President Biden's pistol brace ban runs into legal trouble just before the registration deadline hits. Plus, hot air's Ed Morrissey on the role guns will play in the Republican presidential primary and the general election. That and more on this episode of the Weekly Reload Podcast. No, the devil's got no All right. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the Weekly Reload Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Gutowski. I'm also the founder of TheReload.com, where you can head over and sign up for our free weekly newsletter today if you want to stay up to date with what's happening with guns in America. You can also consider purchasing a membership if you want to support the reporting we do. That is how we fund our entire operation, through member dues from our readers. So, Head over, check out your membership options, check out the free newsletter if you haven't seen it yet. This week, we are talking about the primary and potentially the general election and how guns are already playing a role in both. And to do that, I have a guest with us today from HotAir.com, Managing Editor Ed Morrissey. Welcome to the show, Ed. Well, thank you very much, Stephen. It's great to be with you. Great talking to you again, too. It's been a while. Yeah, it has been a while. Ed, Ed was actually one of the people who uh, is a big inspiration for me personally coming up in, in writing. Uh, when I was in college, I had a blog and uh, Hot Air was one of the, the uh, sites that I followed most closely. And Ed and, uh, and Ala Pundin, who's now at the Dispatch, um, are two of the writers that I was reading every single day when I first came up, one of my big inspirations and one of the first people I ever met actually in the space uh, at CPAC, probably, I don't know how long it's been now. <laughs> it's like 10, time. 12 years ago. Something oh, like it's that? gotta be more than that. Yeah. <laughs> it's probably 2009, I think. So yeah. yeah, yeah. Wow. <laughs> so yeah. long time ago, that's back when they used to have it in DC uh, yes. instead of out, out in Maryland. But um yeah, so Ed's a, a big inspiration for me and one of the people oh, I have most respect for uh, his analysis and his understanding of, of the news. So that's why I wanted to have you on to discuss this. And let's get started with uh, the primary. We have some interesting developments. Ron DeSantis, Florida governor, has now jumped in officially to the Republican yep. presidential primary, uh, taking on, obviously, frontrunner and former President Donald Trump. And one of the wrinkles so far is... Uh, now that he's out there actually sort of directly confronting the former president, he has made comments attacking uh, Donald Trump's record on guns, uh, which which is uh, an interesting development. He's, he was on the Dana Lash show uh, yesterday, uh, was at the time we we're filming this, this is Friday, and he called President Trump's comments about taking the guns first and having due process second unconstitutional. So they violate the Second Amendment and and uh, the Fifth Amendment, and you can't take people's property without due process. Uh, what do you make of this line of attack? What do you make of this these new developments uh, in this primary race? Oh, it's interesting. I mean, these are the types of, I mean, this is actually the type of debate that you want to have in a primary is, is, finding out where everybody stands on issues and not just broad stroke saying, I support the NRA. I mean, I, I don't know that you're going to get a Republican presidential candidate who doesn't support the NRA and the second amendment in some fashion. And Donald Trump uh, was a, uh, was pretty close to the NRA 
2016 and again in 2020, and they were pretty close to him. Um, once you get into policy, that becomes more nuanced, right? And I think that uh, there's two things here. Uh, one is, I think DeSantis does have room to Trump's right on this issue, especially with some mm. of the things that Trump has said about red flag laws, which I believe is what the issue is in yeah. this in this dispute. Um, and even among Republicans, there's some there's some debate as to whether or not you can even have red flag laws that could be constitutionally operated. And if so, you know, how you go about that. Um, Donald Trump, I think, as Donald Trump often does, he speaks very broadly and uh, very um, uh, instinctively on policy issues like this and leaves himself open to a lot of criticism. And I think DeSantis is doing that here. Um, I don't know that Trump would actually go forward with the type of thing that he's talking about. I think he was more or less reacting to some of the popular uh, pressure uh, to do something in terms of gun control laws as a result of this, um, you know, the, the, the mass, the so-called mass shootings that have been taking place. You've been doing, by the way, at the reload, a great job of making sure that people understand that there's a media definition for mass shootings. Then there is a much narrower legal definition of mass shootings as you know, the FBI uses, and that all of these things are really secondary to the fact that there's a mental health crisis going on. And that's the real issue, which is what the red flag laws are, are at least intended to address is they're yeah. intended to address a mental health issue. Um, yeah. And it's, I'm not even sure where I land on this. I'd like to think that you could do this because I think that people who have demonstrated mental health issues probably shouldn't have access to firearms, but you have to make sure that they've actually been adjudicated in some fashion because you can't just deny um, constitutional rights to somebody just because there's an accusation of some right. sort of deficiency. Right. And, so let's uh, yeah. let, let's just real quick recap some of the context, right? right. So Trump's comments came in, in 2018 after the Parkland shooting. He, yes. Uh, they came during, he had this televised meeting with lawmakers from both sides of the aisle and they were discussing red flag laws uh, like you're talking about there. And uh, here's exactly what he said. He said, uh, take the firearms first and then go to court. Because a lot of times <laughs> by the time you go to court, it takes so long to go to court to get the due process procedures. I like taking the guns early, like in this crazy man's case that took place in Florida. He had a lot of firearms. They saw everything to go to court would have taken a long time. So you could do exactly what you're saying. Uh, he's, he's talking to Mike Pence in this in this clip, uh, right. or this, yeah. this quote. Uh, but take the guns first, go through due process second. And so that, that's what Trump said. Yep. Um, now, uh, he's, he, he did a number of, he said a number of other things in that meeting as well that upset a lot of uh, gun rights advocates. But, um, and then here's, this was DeSantis's response to it. Um, he said, quote, that's unconstitutional. It violates the Second Amendment, but I think even more important, it violates the Fifth Amendment. I think he might be talking about the Fourth Amendment. There, I think he's talking about the Fourth Amendment, yeah. Because they can't take anything from you with, without due process. It's not just firearms. And so the idea that you're seizing people's property and then promising due process later, that is wrong. That's not something I would support. Um, and, and to complete, I guess, the full picture of this situation, Trump had support. He 
even said he was going to work with Diane Feinstein, the Democrat from California, who's obviously a, a big gun control proponent. And after this meeting, uh, and that they were going to come up with proposals and red flag laws seemed like one that he was from that quote, obviously open to supporting that all fell apart. He didn't actually go through with right. trying to pass a law, uh, but that was largely because of the first impeachment, which happened right after this uh, and, and sort of blew up any chance of passing a bipartisan gun bill to that included any of these policies. So, uh, you know, that I guess that's the two sides. Now, Ron DeSantis, I should note, has also um, it's his his record on red flag laws is a little more nuanced, I guess. Right. Uh, he's certainly less supportive, I would say. He did. Uh, so Florida has a red flag law as a result of the same shooting, Parkland. Um, but DeSantis wasn't governor at the time. He's not the one who signed. The no, that was Rick law. Scott. Right. That was Rick Scott, who's uh, now senator from from Florida. But. Uh, he and he actually DeSantis said at the time that he would have vetoed that bill if he had been governor uh, when he was running for governor. That's what he said. Um, although he also said in 2019, he told Fox 13 um, that most mass shooters exhibit red flags and, quote, I think we need to identify that and do something about it. Whether that's support for a red flag law is, I guess, a little less clear. Yeah, but, there's a different there's a couple different <clears throat> ways that you can read that. That's sort of the background. Yeah. I mean, he's correct. It's unconstitutional to seize property without due process. And this is where I, I this is where Donald Trump's uh tendency towards imprecision uh, I think is uh, maybe a kind way of putting this gets him in trouble. Um what I would say is that what Donald Trump often tries to do is to try to determine what a popular position is and then embrace it rather than having rather than operating off of some sort of you know core set belief um and I think what he saw in the Parkland shooting was oh there's a bunch of people who are angry over this there's a bunch of people who are saying that you got to do something and his instinct is to use power to do something right right um whereas the constitution is set up to restrict that impulse very much restrict that impulse. And, um, and, and Trump is the reason why the, that those things exist in the Constitution, because it can be very popular to do exactly what Trump said he was going to do. It would have been very popular to say, all right, just screw it. Just, you know, uh, what's the old joke with, uh, you know, kill them all and let God sort them out, you know, and, and in terms of military strategy sort of thing. Um, that's sort of the you know, that's sort of that, 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 that strongman impulse can be extremely seductive and not just for the strongman, but also for the people who, uh, the strongman is, you know, ruling or governing. So we have the constitution there as a break on that impulse, because that's not the, going to be the only impulse that <laughs> if you, if you remove those things, there's going to be a lot of impulses. There's going to be a lot of id that, uh, that gets flexed, um, without those structure, without those uh, protections. And so, I mean, I think it's a it's a it's a good argument intellectually. I would say it's a good argument politically too. Emotionally, that's the question, right? Are Republicans going to vote on the basis of the rational governance, or are they going to vote on the basis of emotion? And I think that's I think the sense. And look, I, it's not quite that cut and dried. 
Trump does have a rational record to run on the, you know, what he yeah. did in, in office for, for four years. And sure. Ron DeSantis is certainly capable of generating an emotional appeal as well. But that, that's, that, you know, in rough terms, that's sort of the distinction between the two and what Republicans voter Republican voters are going to be hashing out over the next several months. Yeah. I mean, the thing with Trump, it's always seemed as though his supporters and, and Republicans generally are much more forgiving on specific policy details or comments that he's made in the past, uh, at least up to this point. Um, and they're not, you know, they don't view Trump as a policy wonk and they don't necessarily hold him to the same purity standards as, uh, you know, you might see for like a Ted Cruz or, or Ron DeSantis. Right. Um, and, uh, or, or even just any politician, because that's one of the things that is part of Trump's appeal, even though he's right, been president and been running and been deeply involved in politics for the last, uh, well, since at least 2015, right? Uh, if, if not well before that, um, people still look at him oftentimes as not a politician. And so they're perhaps more forgiving in these sorts of situations. And so that's where I guess it comes down to like, how much of an impact will it have that DeSantis has these openings and now seems to be actively trying to exploit them, right? Like DeSantis right. has lined up this list of accomplishments in Florida. Uh, you know, I've, I've been talking about this for months now that he's trying to get to the right of Trump on gun policy. You know, he passed permitless gun carry. He passed um, banking protections for gun businesses and gun owners. Um, he, he banned the use of uh, merchant category codes to track gun purchases. You know, he's he's doing these things that are putting him to potentially, uh, or at least they're shoring up his uh, his own reputation on, on gun policy. And you look at Trump and there is some weakness there because not only do you have these comments, but you also have the bump stock ban, right? Which, which Trump did unilaterally. Uh, which has now been found unconstitutional by several uh, federal appeals courts, right. including ones that have Trump appointees on them. And uh, and he's doubled down on support for that. That was one of the things he did in that CNN town hall. But I guess, uh, is that going to matter? Can DeSantis exploit that weakness on policy in a way that's going to, you know, bring him much closer to Trump in, in the polling? Well, I think you've got your finger on the pulse of, you know, the um, the gun rights community. You and, you know, obviously my fa my, my friend Cam Edwards over at BearingArms.com, too. I mean, mm -hmm. both of you at the Reload and at Bearing Arms. I think you guys have a really good um, finger on the pulse of the gun rights community. And I think it's going to make an impact there. And again, I think I get back to, again, the what what's going to matter in this cycle, right? Yeah. I'm not sure how many people who are supporting Trump and who are going to continue to support Trump are that concerned about the uh, about the nuances of policy. I think that they're more interested in a, in two things, and both of them are emotional appeals. One is that he's fight, right? He fights, he fights, he fights. We hear this all the time. Well, so does DeSantis, mm -hmm. but, right. but Trump is sort of the poster boy for he fights. And the other is the grievance of, you know, what happened in, you know, 20 you know, with Russia Gate and uh, you know the, uh, the the at least the first impeachment and what happened, what they feel happened in the 2020 election, yeah. um, and so 
I think people who are approaching the choices that are going to have to be made in this cycle um, that are interested in these policy differences will probably very much go to Ron DeSantis. If, if, mm -hmm. Even if they're basing this on policy, period, they're probably going to be interested in DeSantis or Chris Sununu or Tim Scott or somebody else other than Trump. Um, yeah. The people for whom this is an emotional issue who are really tied to the grievances of Russiagate and you know the legitimate grievance of Russiagate and whatever you think of the 2020 election, I, I'm not sure you peel them off with that. I think DeSantis has to offer something more than that. It's something along the lines of, "I'll you know I also fight." And I think his 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 feud with Disney is part of that. Mm -hmm. I don't think that he he did this. I don't think he did this because of that. Disney picked this fight by uh, jumping into the whole parental rights and education um, uh, act. Um, and, um, and, and going after him over that, going after him in a very dishonest manner over that. Um, I think that DeSantis is going to have to offer more than just policy. He's going to have to offer an emotional appeal as well. And that's going to be the trick for him, I think. Yeah. I mean, that, that makes sense in terms of, uh, the potential appeal needing to go beyond policy. Although I will say like, it's been a while since Trump faced somebody who's highly critical of him and his policies from, uh, but who is also highly credible among Republicans. Yes. Right. Really not since, I don't know, 2015, since, since uh, Ted Cruz sort of uh, tried to run out that, I mean, but by the time Ted Cruz did that, it, the primary is well long because we all recall how the primary went most uh, I think most people didn't treat him as a viable candidate and thought he would fade away. And so they didn't want to attack him directly for a good long chunk of that primary yep. until really it was too late. Uh, but even when Trump, when Cruz did that, uh, you know, that, that the end of that primary was closer than people I think remember. And so, yeah. you know, now that you have somebody like DeSantis, who's built up a lot of credibility on both of these points that you just mentioned, uh, policy and sort of reputation for, for fighting for, you know, conservative uh, beliefs or, or what have you, however you want to phrase it. Um, you know, if he's going after Trump, you know, does that, uh, will that change how things have, have been going the last several years uh, as far as criticism of Trump from people like Liz Cheney or, or you know, the Lincoln Project or other ex-Republican types. Um, obviously, those people don't have a lot of uh, purchase with pro Republican primary voters right. anymore. And uh, the fact that they attacked Trump didn't do a lot to persuade those voters, whereas Ron DeSantis is pretty well-liked, especially if you look at the polling, his approval ratings, uh, his numbers are right there with Trump as far as how much Republican primary voters like him. Well, his favorability um, numbers are actually quite a bit better than Donald Trump's. And that's yeah, part of the I thing mean, is the, that the he's net, got more upside. Yeah. I mean, that's part of his, that's part of his, his argument, but he, I, I mean, just among primary voters, right? Like his, his uh, yeah, overall numbers are much better, but uh, Republicans tend to really like Donald Trump. Right. Um, but you have someone who they also like going after him for the first time really in a long time. 
Um, yeah. Maybe that will make a difference. I don't you know, know. The, yeah, I mean, the difference is between this and 2015, there's a, there's a couple differences. And we should probably talk about this a little bit. First off, the 2015, um, I don't know what you call it, the collection of, of candidates. Yeah, there it was wasn't a huge really, field. Yeah, it was a huge field. It had 17, including Trump, had 17 people in it. But there wasn't really a major candidate. The, the closest that you had to a major candidate was Jeb Bush, and he was, was part Jeb. of this. And I like Jeb. Jeb did a good job as governor of Florida, right? I mean, I think that people are, you know, people make Jeb into a joke. He wasn't a joke. He was a two-term governor in Florida, did a lot of good while he was there. Um, yeah. Jeb's and, kind of the, uh, the 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 negative template for DeSantis. That's what, if you're thinking about the worst case scenario for him, well, that's probably what it looks like. Yeah, but I mean, DeSantis isn't positioned the same way that Jeb Bush was. Jeb no. Bush, is, Jeb Bush no. was <laughs> firmly a part of the... GOP establishment, his father yeah. and his brother had both been president. So, you right. know, it's, you can't say, oh, I'm, I'm a populist. And he didn't try to his credit. He didn't right. really try, but he is a Florida governor who had a lot of money and, and he did, uh, you know, cachet going into the race and then he flamed out. That's, that would be the pretty concern spectacularly, that, pretty spectacular. Sort of please clap, case. please yeah. clap became sort of the, the thing, but, right. but DeSantis is different. First off, DeSantis I think another part of that was that by the time Jeb Bush got around to that, um, I mean, the, you have the Iraq war and there was all sorts of erosion of the Bush brand. Plus, nobody mm. really wanted to see Bush versus Clinton again or Bush versus Clinton <laughs> yeah. at all. I mean, nobody wanted to see that. Um, and we all pretty much knew it was going to be Hillary running uh, against uh, in that in that um, yeah. cycle. They basically tried to crown her, right? It was a coronation until Bernie Sanders got in. He's a fringe nutcase who ended up seriously challenge, challenging Hillary because Hillary is a terrible, terrible campaigner. Yeah. And this is the point that I think that is going to be very interesting is that he's never really faced somebody who is a really good campaigner, somebody who understands how to build a ground game. Hillary Clinton hmm. didn't. She's a terrible campaigner. She didn't even show up in Wisconsin, yeah. right? She was right. doing the same thing. You know, Barack Obama offered a revolution in campaigning in 2008, and it saved his butt in 2012 because he built this huge brand loyalty machine. Um, and I, I, in fact, I'm writing, I wrote about that this morning. I wrote about it in my book, right? Um, and I, yeah, I said, this is the template. Everybody's going to be doing this. You've got to be prepared to do this. And literally nobody's done it since Obama. And I have no idea why, because it's, it's very, it was very clearly a, a model to follow in this. And mm. it was really about local politics. It was making everything local, making your national agenda local. That's all it was. And, and finding people who could do that for you. And Hillary Clinton ran a 30,000 foot campaign, you know, Joe Biden ran a basement campaign in 2020. Um, Donald Trump holds rallies, but he doesn't really build a ground game. And he's the ground game that he had in both 2016 and 2020 came from the RNC. Hmm. Um, he was doing other things. And he was spending money on other things. And he was doing a, uh, a, a, a 30,000-foot campaign as well, doing the rallies, and that's it. Hmm. But the RNC was backing him up. They were backstopping him with the Republican Leadership Initiative. Um Ron DeSantis, and you see DeSantis doing doing something different. Though. Yeah, the New York Times was reporting this on Wednesday that the, the Never Back Down and the and the DeSantis campaign are going to put together a two hundred million dollar organization where they're going to hire twenty six hundred people, uh, primarily in battleground states, but in other states too, to do 
door knocking, groundwork and stuff like that. Now, the question is whether or not they use that Obama model, right, which is the bi-directional communication where you listen, you find out what the local issues are. This particular precinct has an issue on this particular street and you find somebody who likes your candidate who goes in there and holds a pizza party and tells them how X policy is going to mean that this particular street is going to benefit. That's what Obama did. Mm-hmm. Um, it remains to be seen as to whether or not they're going to follow that lesson. I mean, I'm, you know, it's been a long time since I've been able to profit from my book. So, I mean, I'm, I'm mostly just doing this tongue in cheek, but I start off this, the, the post today by saying, DeSantis, you magnificent bastard, you read my book. Um, <laughs> I, but that's hey, that, that type of campaign. Donald Trump has never run into that type of campaign before. He's mm. never had to ca- compete against that kind of campaign before. He's never actually competed against a competent <laughs> Uh, campaigner at that level. And um, I think that that is going to be something and that won't show up in the polls right away. You'll still see polls where Donald Trump's leading by 20 points, Donald Trump's leading by 15 points. But as that thing starts to work, you're especially in the states themselves, the Iowa polls, the New Hampshire polls, the South Carolina polls, within a a couple of months, you're going to start to see those polls shift if they get that thing running the way that they should. And so, yeah, I mean, I think that there's a really interesting dynamic that is going to be set up here. And I don't think Trump is prepared to to compete effectively against it. Hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, that that is definitely interesting. I mean, I think that I think DeSantis makes the race far more interesting, certainly. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and he's in in addition to that sort of. uh meat and potatoes sort of campaigning that you're describing there and having an operation that's effective and in place and ready to go. He's obviously also been able to raise a lot of money. Like he, even though they had that, the, the Twitter spaces thing was a kind of blew up in their face. A little yeah. Bit. Yeah. That Not was... really their fault necessarily. That was sort of Twitter's fault, but, yep. um, but they still pulled in 8.2 million, which is more than, uh, than Trump got after the indictment or, um, and more than Biden raised when he announced or Trump raised when he first announced either. So uh, they, they've certainly got money uh, to go into this. And and now, and they also have a, uh, a political strategy, right? They've, they've got the, it's not just guns, but guns is a perfect example of what he's doing, which is right. pass a bunch of policies through the legislature that you helped grow the majority's in by having a 20 point victory and right. your gubernatorial election, right? The narrative is there. And then you're going to have the, these shining examples to point to that will contrast at least fairly well with Trump. Now, Trump, even on gun policy, we've talked about some of the negatives. He obviously has positives too. Uh, beyond, you know, obviously the NRA, he's got this gr- very strong connection with the NRA. NRA members clearly still love him. They were, uh, you could tell who they wanted to be the nominee in the, in the room at the convention this year. And it was Donald Trump. Um, uh, even though, you know, DeSantis did a little video presentation that people there were clearly very much Trump uh, supporters in the room. Um, uh, and he, he obviously has the, the Trump card, so to speak, of having appointed three Supreme Court justices who were all right. in the majority in the Bruin case, which was a landmark second. Absolutely. Year. And he should Bruin. run on that. Absolutely. He should run on, the, on his track record with, with the judiciary. Trump has got a great track record on the judiciary. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. In fact, now he got a lot of help on that from Mitch McConnell. Certainly. But but but, but and, that was know, what Mitch whether, McConnell wanted, too. So, I mean, he's still the guy. Whether who's DeSantis would d- appoint different justices, I think, is obviously a fair 
you know, do you really think? Yeah, no, no, I think I don't. I don't think it's a differentiator. But if you're it, Trump, but, but it is accomplishment, obviously. Absolutely, absolutely. I don't want to. I don't want to say this is what was. I'm trying to be fair. To everyone here, right? <laughs> like I don't. I don't want to pretend like there's no uh, Trump accomplishments on guns because there are things that he can obviously point to and run on the. He made gun businesses essential during the pandemic. There, there's a number of other things. That absolutely. Did. There aren't a ton of legislative accomplishments, and that's where that's where DeSantis can have this is part of his strategy he can set himself apart by saying look at the things i got passed into law uh look at where i am on guns and then look at the weak points in trump's record and that seems to be what he's doing the, the super PAC put out a whole ad calling trump a, a gun grabber um and then desantis had these comments himself so right. there's clearly a strategy here it goes beyond guns but guns are a good example of what he's trying to so do you're exactly it. right yeah and and look it's fair donald trump said he would take the guns be, without due process I mean, he did, yeah, he did say that. He said it. It's a thing he, he said, said. it. And he, did the, he did the bump stock ban. That was yeah. him on his own doing that. Yep. Didn't it wasn't something the Congress did and forced him to do. Obviously, there's reasons that that happened. The NRA was uh, part was supportive of doing it initially, though they criticized it later. Um, but the, he has a record both ways. And that's what DeSantis is trying to exploit. Yep. So we'll have I to agree. see how how well it goes, right? Like uh, we'll probably have to have you on down the line and see how that political operation actually slows up and how well it, it does. But uh, one other thing I want to talk about while I have you here, um, it, that is also election related, uh, pretend pretends more to the general election. So we also have some numbers about President Biden and his performance on guns and what people are thinking. Uh, Biden has been having a very bad. Uh, last few months, in I mean, really, his, his polling numbers have been bad for a while now, right? Right. There's sort of a, almost, I don't know if it's just like a general malaise, you know, I, I, really, they've kind of tanked ever since the Afghanistan debacle, right? The withdrawal and how bad that, that was. was the inflection point. Yes. It was yeah. a, it's, a, it's an utter disgrace. It's dishonorable. Um, it's a good reason for there to be an inflection point on Joe Biden's presidency. He's never recovered from it, nor should he. Yeah. Sorry, I and, just throw uh, that in there. <laughs> That's fair. Um, uh, you know, uh, certainly that that seemed to be a big turning point where his numbers started to decline. And and obviously, I think while we're not in the midst of an economic collapse or anything of that nature, people, I think there's a pretty general malaise about how things are going. People do not think things are going well. Obviously, we are also there's sort of the default thing is the immediate short term um, issue at I think they would probably find some way to figure that out, but but it's not going to fix things to where people feel like they're they're doing well economically. And there's just I think malaise is kind of explains a lot of it. Yes, but, but one of his numbers. Uh, this is a gun podcast, after all, a gun politics podcast uh, that have been bad and continue to be bad, even worse than his general approval numbers, are his approval on handling of gun policy. He's down. According to uh, the latest poll from the Associated Press, to just 31% approval on how he's handled guns, and uh, you know, I wonder how that will stack up. We just talked about the gun politics of the Republican primary. Biden is. I know that there's you know the there's the one Kennedy is running and there's you know, he's there's there's stuff with the presidential primary. He's going to be the nominee. I yeah. don't think unless something terrible happens and he's not you know he is very old. I mean, 
they're all pretty old. Trump's very old too, but yep. um, he's extremely likely to be the person who runs again. And he will have an incumbent advantage regardless of all this other stuff. But I do wonder how you think that's going to affect um, his reelection. Like, is this going to be a sore point or do you think that, I mean, I'm sure part of the reason he has such a low approval rating is that Democrats don't like that they, he hasn't been able to do more to enact gun control. Right? right. That's exactly right. This is the this is what happens. This is the politics of uh, failing to set proper expectations. Mm. I mean, Biden came into office with the House of Representatives in control of the Republican Party and the Senate almost evenly split. I mean, they picked up one seat in a yep. by the way, in an election where. Republicans were defending, I think, nine more seats than Democrats were. Mm-hmm. And and they could have actually ended up, they could have lost control of the Senate if it hadn't been for the fact that the Republicans nominated some pretty dodgy people for, for yeah. some of those positions. And that actually we can talk about, you know, Trump's role in and what, what that says about his, sure. his electoral influence. Actually- but, that, but that's that's a little, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I just want to because uh, I meant to make this point at the time when you were you're talking about the Jeb Bush Clinton matchup and nobody wanted to see another Bush Clinton thing. I, one of the things that works against Trump in that dynamic too is like, does, who wants to see another Trump Biden matchup? Right, 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 right. Americans yeah. do either. I mean, I think that that's a that, that's a big that's going to be a big issue. It's the only reason I think that they're that they're keeping Biden in place. And just to address something that you said earlier, Kennedy doesn't have a shot at getting the nomination, but if he scores 20-30% in New Hampshire. You yeah, might be looking at an LBJ. You might be looking at an LBJ situation where other people look at this, realize that Biden is a disaster in a general election, and start jumping in. This is what happened in 1968. Eugene McCarthy didn't have a shot at mm. getting the nomination in 1968, but when Eugene McCarthy um, nearly beat LBJ in New Hampshire, suddenly the whole thing opened up, and LBJ decided, "I'm, I'm not even going to bother." Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I guess so, we could see something like that. And you still could see something like that. But you never uh, know. Biden is extremely unpopular at this point. He's and he's extremely unpopular. And in, in, to get back to the gun thing, to get back to his numbers on guns, he came in with a with having lost the House of Representatives and only barely gaining a seat in in a cycle that uh, Democrats really should have gained more in the Senate, and especially when they're winning the presidency. Mm-hmm. Um, and promised the and promised the world, right? Made right. these ridiculous promises. We're going to pass gun control. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. None of which was possible. And when you set expectations that high, and especially when you're letting the 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 radical extreme of your party run it, as Democrats have done, that you're setting up expectations that cannot possibly be fulfilled. And all you're going to do is make people angry when you fail. And this was the this was the issue around the, you know, the so-called Build Back Better bill. You know, the six trillion dollar, then the five trillion dollar, then the three and a half trillion dollar bill that ended up cut down to eight hundred billion, uh, and recast as the Inflation Reduction Act, which finally passed because Joe Manchin was an idiot, or or was or was just a um, very cynical power player, which I think is the better explanation. Um, so they didn't get anything that they wanted. No, they didn't get they didn't get a lot of what they wanted um and a lot of what the, Biden was promising and the the trick in politics is not to overpromise and underdeliver it's just like any other type mm. of sales if you overpromise yeah. and underdeliver people are going to be 
angry with you. And so that reflects both, you know, gun owners and conservatives not liking Joe Biden's gun policy, period, as mm -hmm. well as progressives who are angry that Joe Biden hasn't done more work to, uh, you know, to ban assault weapons, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, even though it's not really up to Biden in that sense. I mean, you'd have to have um, you'd have to have one of the you'd have to have one of the two chambers in Congress actually propose it. And it's not going to come out of the House of Representatives. And Chuck well, Schumer, it passed, it passed last Senate or passed last Congress. Right. But it did. Then, but then the Senate, the Senate didn't want to take it up because it was a you know, 50, it was, 50, it was 50, split. 50 Senate. Right? And not only that, they probably couldn't have gotten 50 votes because not no. all 50 Democrats would have voted for that. Well, Manchin wasn't going to vote for it. And no. so it was it was a dead Tester issue and, and Trump it. was president and he would have vetoed it. I mean, the, the House passing that bill was simply performative. Now, I just mean the two the they did that under Biden. Right. So the last the last Congress. Oh, I see. You uh, mean before Biden would have signed it. But but the problem and the other the issue they run into is like you have and you're right. I think it does go back to expectation setting because, well, We've got a Democratic president who wants an assault weapons ban. We got a House who passed it just barely, like they got it through literally at the exact number of votes needed, and they had two Republicans uh, come over uh, to to vote for it uh, to get it through. And then the you have a Democratic Senate, so you have a lot of Democratic activists and voters who probably think this should be law because you're promising us this. Your party controls everything, but in reality. They still couldn't pass, even if they had gotten rid of the filibuster, right? They blamed the filibuster for a lot of stuff. Right. But even if you gotten rid of the filibuster, you still wouldn't have had 50 votes anyway, because right. there are Democrats who oppose this policy. So, yeah, you set up this scenario where you're saying you can get this done. He says this all the time, right? He says, I beat the NRA 30 years ago and got the assault and span passed. We're going to do it again. Well, um, I mean, and then you don't, even though your party has control of everything, and yeah, people start to people on your own side start to get antsy about it. And that's why he's got a 48 percent disapproval rating uh, on guns from Democrats. And, right. and then, yeah, you, as you mentioned, the other side is Republicans don't want any of that stuff. They don't uh, they, they don't want him. They don't want an assault and span. They don't want the other policies that he's pushing for. So he's already going to have really low marks uh, because this issue is very polarized at the, at the moment. Right. Uh, and so that's how you end up with an approval rating that's even lower than your general approval rating, which is pretty bad to begin with. Yep. It's exactly right. And, and again, it goes back to, there's a lot of people in politics who forget this about over-promising and under-delivering. It's, I mean, mm. Trump did that to a certain Trump, extent too. Yeah, Trump does do that. Already. Right. I mean, the wall, Mexico's going to pay, for, we're going to build the wall and Mexico's going to pay for it. Um, we're going to do this. We're going to do that. And then not really doing anything much about it until, you know, you know the repairing the parts of the wall that were already there, extending some of those sections out somewhat. Um, certainly, certainly in the latter stages of the presidency, they were doing more work on the wall than they had been before. But, I mean, he had four years and he didn't get it done. And that's also one of the things I think that you're going to hear from DeSantis is, oh, yeah. well, Donald Trump was promising all these things in 2016, didn't get them done. Why are you going to do, why are you going to send him there again? When you, when you know right. that when I tell you something, I get it done. But I do think that Trump does still get uh sort of pass, at least from his own voters, from Republicans on these things, as, as I oh, mentioned yeah. earlier, like he's, people don't treat him as much like a politician, whereas Biden, uh, his voters and supporters are much less forgiving on that front because Biden has been a politician almost literally his entire life. And so people judge him that way. 
And they, they're much more likely to judge politicians on whether they actually accomplish the policy goals that they claim they're going to accomplish when they when people see, think that they have the opportunity to do it. And so, yeah, I think uh, I, mean, I think that's good analysis. And I think, yeah, expectation setting plays a big role. If you win pre the presidency and your party controls Congress and you don't get the policies passed that you promised you were going to pass, people in your party are going to start to get upset about that. And I think that's exactly what we're seeing. In, a, in addition to that sort of polarization of the issue where Republicans are never going to approve of Biden on, on guns anyway. Right. Um, and, and so you already start off with with null marks because of the sort of era of politics we're in uh, and how gun politics in particular fit into that. But I agree. But, you know, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out in the general election, um, too. Uh, you know, what how how whether people you know, how much are our Democrats going to not vote for Biden over Trump or DeSantis because they're disappointed on gun policy, I guess, would be the bigger general election question. I'm not as sure about that one. No, I don't think so. I, I think when it comes to a general election, it's really going to be, it won't be on gun policy. The economy might be a policy that that matters, right? Mm -hmm. um, and inflation might be, you know, most of the times these things really come down to pocketbook issues, not so much some of the um, activist issues, right? Yeah. And I, I mean, I also think that when you look at gun voters, people who will, who are single issue gun voters, you don't tend to see as much of that in the democratic party. Like it's, for instance, uh, you know, Biden has done a lot in executive orders. He's pushed the envelope on executive orders. He's got the pistol brace ban, which we'll talk a little bit about the latest on that in our news update. But, uh, you know, that's something where it has a large effect. There's millions to tens of millions of these affected guns out there that are now becoming, uh, illegal if you haven't registered them, which most people likely have not registered them. And uh, but it's the kind of thing that's going to piss off the gun owners who are affected, but is very unlikely in my mind, at least, to even be noticed by most of the voters on in the Democratic Party who are giving Biden low marks on gun policy because they probably don't even know what a pistol brace is. The average right. person doesn't know what that is. Um, and yet yeah, there may be millions of them out there, but most people don't aren't that plugged into the issue. And so, you know, you get this effect where it brings down approval among the people who are directly affected and understand it. But you don't really get much of a positive boost from it. Right. Uh, I agree. I agree. So. Really, I actually think this election is going to come down two different ways. If Trump is the Republican nominee, it's going to be the election will come down to how people feel about Trump. If anybody else but Trump is the nominee, then I think it's going to come down to how people feel about Joe Biden. And, and, and it would be a traditional referendum on the incumbent. Um, and that, to me, I think is how the general election will come down. And so for Republicans, really, the issue is, do you want to have this be the, the 2024 be a, a referendum on Trump? Or do you want to have it be a referendum on Biden? Yeah. I, I think that's pretty good, uh, a pretty good guess at where things are going to end up. But, you know, politics is crazy and oh, you yeah. just never know what's going to happen, frankly. So it's still super, super early. And Trump is still, uh, you know, Trump is very high up. And, and frankly, as much as he consistently loses to Biden in most of the polling right now, he's not that far behind Biden in no. a lot of those head to heads. So, you know, anyone who thinks that everything's already figured out in either the primary or the general 
I think is is uh, in for a rude awakening down the line because that's <laughs> usually what happens in politics. Things, usually things, is yes. Things are not as predictable as we'd like them to be, but uh, but we will have to have you back on as as we move along down here through this primary and into the general election because I think your your political analysis is always top of the line. So Thank I really you. appreciate you joining us. Tell people where they can find more of your writing. Well, great. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. Thank you so much. Um, Hotair.com is where I write. I'm also on Twitter at Ed Morrissey. I'm on Facebook, but I'm very rarely doing anything on Facebook. Um, but I am accessible on on Twitter and uh, certainly at Hotair.com. So uh, check it. We got some. We got. I'm not doing as much writing as I used to because I've got a great team of writers there. So um, so I'm doing a lot of podcasting now at hot air and a lot of stuff behind the VIP wall, but uh, we've still got plenty of stuff, open yep. access to everybody from David Strom, Jazz Shaw, John Sexton, Karen Townsend and Beach Wellborn. So, you know, drop on by. Yep. Hot air remains uh, some of the best conservative analysis uh, out there. I think um, so it has been since I started in, in this industry and it continues to be today. So I think you Thank are you. a huge part of why. So I appreciate you coming on. Thank you, and, sir. And sharing all this with us. By the way, your book, you mentioned your book a couple of times. Where can people find that? Oh, well, uh, wherever they sell remaindered books, I guess. I mean, <laughs> it's about seven years old now. It's called Going Red. You can actually still get the um, Kindle and the audio version, uh, audio books version from Amazon.com or BarnesandNoble.com. Um, and um, I'm not sure that you can get the the actual printed copies anymore. But I think I have like 200 of them or so. So if anybody wants them, <laughs> <laughs> reach out to Ed. Just reach out Sweet to Adam. me. But, uh, but no, I mean, you, you, you might want to do the, you might want to do the audio version. You might want to do the, uh, you might want to do Kindle. the uh, Kindle yes. version. And uh, that is still available. So um, great. Yeah. All right. It's time for the news update. I'm contributing writer Jake Fogelman, joined, of course, by Reload founder Stephen Gutowski. How are you doing this week, Steve? I'm doing pretty good. How are you, Jake? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, my, yeah. my, my, since last time we were on the podcast, my Nuggets have made it to the NBA Finals. So I'm pretty pumped on that. <laughs> uh, hopefully, yeah, by the time but... this is out, the finals will have started. So riding high there. Uh, that's can't exciting. Complain. I wouldn't know what that's like. The Sixers <laughs> lost to the Celtics. Who did the Celtics get swept? They or did not. They know. won one game, right? They actually won two games. The last night oh. they won their second game, so they're trying to claw their way oh, back. So they're still going. Yeah. Well, I wish we still had Jimmy Buckets, though. Yeah. To be honest, uh, he's. They never should have let him go. They, they chose Ben Simmons over him, and we can all see how that worked out. I say rough choice. <laughs> but uh, how are things going with your uh, ongoing uh, concealed carry saga? You know, your new gun, your new holster situation. Yeah, I got a few updates. Good, some good, some bad. Uh, yeah, it's definitely it's definitely a journey. Right. Uh, updating your gun, updating your carry position, your carry rig, everything is it's a lot. Uh, you know, I've been carrying for over a decade now, I guess. And um, yeah, this is one of the first times that I really tried to experiment with everything. I've gone red dot. I've gone. I'm trying to go appendix. Um, and I definitely had some setbacks this week with really with the gun in particular. So. I got the the P365X macro, right? That's my new carry gun, primarily because it comes with 17 round magazines, right? Um, just one problem with that, which is 
that if you load this up to 17 rounds, you load up these magazines to 17 rounds, um, it makes it extremely difficult to rack around into this chamber. Hmm. Uh, yeah, like the spring is too stiff for that. Uh, I mean, you can do it, but it takes a lot of force. And it makes me concerned that it's going to cause a malfunction if I load the gun, the magazine to 17 rounds and I have one in the chamber, right? So that, which is how you, it's how you would carry the gun, right? Right. Because if you fire that round and then it's, there's 17 rounds in this magazine, it's full and it's too much resistance, uh, you know, to, to strip that next round into the chamber, obviously then you'll get a malfunction. You'll get a failure to feed and that would be really bad in a self-defense scenario. Sure. So I've taken to carrying it with 16 rounds in the actual gun or in the actual, you know, magazine in the gun. Uh, I know I have been told that if you leave them fully loaded for a little while, eventually they'll break in. I was just going to ask if it's a break in thing or not. That's what people have said, uh, you know, on Twitter when I talked about this. Uh, and I think I saw it on, on YouTube too. And in a review on, of the gun, but I don't know, man, how long, first of all, when, how long, now I will say right. that I, I have shot the gun with, the fully loaded magazine in there and it hasn't caused a failure to feed to this point. So, uh, you know, it, it hasn't actually shown up in practice to, yet, which is good. But I mean, man, when I, when I try to rack around off of a full magazine, it's, it's very difficult. Um, and that's really concerning to me. And it, right. the problem with carrying around at 16, uh, is that the whole point of buying this gun for me was to have that 17 round capacity. Like I, I won't, I, you know, I'm chasing capacity all the time now uh, because I watch a lot of active self-protection videos. And while we know right from surveys and reporting that the vast majority of self-defense incidents involve zero shots being fired, right? Where someone uses their gun in self-defense, they don't actually fire around at all. I think it's like with the William English survey from uh, what George Washington um, University, I think it was like 87% or something, something like that. It was in the high 80s for people who don't fire a single round. But if you watch active self-protection, uh, if you go over actually to their, they have a new app that's really good that gives you sort of more in-depth videos than what's on their YouTube channel. Um, there's a great video on capacity uh, because active self-protection for anybody who doesn't know is a channel where they examine real life shooting encounters or self-defense encounters um, and learn lessons from actually watching video of it really happening in real life, which is um, in my opinion, the best way to, to train for self-defense uh, with, with your firearm or without your farm. There's lots of situations that they go over that don't involve guns, or at least the defenders don't have guns. And, uh, but they have a video on capacity and they, where they show you a number of examples of from, you know, a gun being used without a round being fired and that being effective to needing 15, 16, 17, 18 rounds to win a gunfight, uh, in real life on video. Uh, a lot of those, uh, involve multiple attackers, as you might imagine, right? Like it's not always going to be one person coming at you. You know, there's the classic, like, 
uh, Joe Biden line about how you don't need more than three rounds, right. more, more than three rounds, you're a bad hunter or whatever. Or you can just stick your gun out, outside your window and shoot in the air, double barrel shotgun, right? That's the president's advice. Um, well, in real life, there are scenarios where you might actually need uh, quite a lot of rounds to win. I mean, you see this in not just in these videos from active self-protection, but also in police encounters, you know, reports about police officer-involved shootings. Sometimes, you know, you get in that worst-case scenario, you need uh, a lot of rounds. And mo the vast majority of gunfights, uh, you know, if you talk to John Correa from Active Self-Protection, all the videos that they've watched on this, almost never is anyone actually reloading their guns right? in, in, a, in a real gunfight. Um, so you want to have those rounds in in your magazine, right? Yeah. And especially, like you said, the, the fact that it hasn't caused a malfunction yet, but the fact that that's on your mind with something that's presumably there to save your life if it needs to, yep. it's sort of a disconcerting uh, that's always the thing, thing to think about. That's why I didn't carry my, I bought a very early run of the P365, the original, and mm. I was intending to switch to that years ago. But if anyone remembers when those guns first came out, they had issues with the firing pins. Yep. And mine had an issue of uh, giving me light primer strikes every so often. And it's like, well, it doesn't do it every time, but it randomly gives me light primer strikes. I can't carry a gun that does that. Right. Because then what happens if I, when I pull the trigger and it doesn't go off, like that's, that's the worst scenario for you. Like, cause if you're pulling the trigger on a gun, you had uh damn well better be in a situation where you need to do that. Uh, right. Or else, you know, you're going to be in a heck of a lot of trouble, but uh, you know, if you do that and it doesn't work, you're going to be in even more trouble. Right. So uh, you know, carrying with 16 is fine. Yes. But the P365XL holds has magazines that hold 15. So I'm getting one more round for a significantly larger gun. I mean, not, you know, it's obviously still pretty compact for what it is, which is why it's appealing for, for this situation. That wasn't the only problem, though. <laughs> uh, this red dot on here, the um, Romeo Zero Elite that came from the factory, that's an important point. From the factory on this gun, the battery died less than a month after I got the thing. <laughs> so, how is on the uh, on the Romeos? How do you replace the battery? Do you have to actually remove the red dot to replace it? You do. Ah, uh, yep. So you have, you to, have re -zero. to take off the red dot. <laughs> you have to take it off. You have to retorque it. You have to uh, re-zero it. So not great. Not a great yeah. experience. Uh, you know, and I would. And honestly, like I would go to, I'd probably go to the Hollow Sun. I think it's the 407K, I think it's called. Mm -hmm. uh, if I was going to start from scratch and pick a red dot, I probably wouldn't pick this, this Romeo Zero. Yeah, for I'm that pretty happy reason. With, with my Hollow Sun right now. Yeah. Does yours have a side uh, door? For so this battery? actually is a, a unique one. It's, it doesn't have an external battery. It's entirely solar charged. Yeah. Oh. Um, it's, it's a special model that they make for MOS Glocks that are already pre-drilled for sites and they don't need a base mm. plate. So it just integrates right in the slide. It's, so it's really low footprint and thought I'd test it out just because of that one fact. I don't have to worry about swapping the battery ever. Yeah. I mean, this the same way with the zero is that you don't need a 
plate or anything. Although they, from the factory, they give you this metal cover for it as well, which is what's caused the problems with my other uh, with your holster. holsters. But um, <laughs> and I'll get into that in a second here. But yeah, like I'd probably go with that hollow sun that has the side uh, battery compartment, but and it has like clicky adjustment wheels. This this is just friction adjusted. But you know, to be honest, it's been a pretty fine dot other than the battery dying very early. Now I put in a battery that came with it. They give you a backup battery uh, and it's some no name brand and we'll see how long that one lasts. I mean, it's been, to, you know, it, it has that sort of shake to, to wake feature and it does turn itself off after a pretty uh, short period of time. So it should, and it's not on the highest bright, brightness either. So it should last a long time. It's supposed to last like, on the lowest brightness, I think it's supposed to last like 20,000 hours or something. Uh, so you should, you know, having to replace the battery shouldn't be a big issue because you only have to do it every couple of years, really. Um, and, but, you know, if you have to do it every month, then it's a real big issue. Right? So we'll, we'll see how it lasts. Maybe, I don't know. I mean, these guns just came out a couple months ago. So the longest that it could have been sitting with a battery in there is... A couple of months right uh, so it's not great not a great start with this gun it shoots fine it shoots great uh i think the compensator that's built into the slide works pretty well anyway there's a lot of videos out there you guys can go and watch reviews i like the gun i don't like these little problems that are coming along with they're fairly significant problems and the magazine thing is that's the whole point of buying this gun right. <laughs> so uh you know the integrated red dot battery dying very fast not a great sign but not the end of the world otherwise the dot's fine like i wouldn't i think the the hollow suns do sound better swamp fox has you know a number of good options from what i've heard there you know there's other ones out there that are maybe you put them side by side you'd pick the more the other one although they would all they're also more expensive uh the the zero is pretty cheap comparatively but but I already have it on there and I don't think it's so bad outside of this battery issue that I would go out and buy a whole new site to replace it with. Uh, that's where I'm at on it at least. Uh, and then, yeah. So the other big update with this, with the carry setup is that I got my, my Filster Enigma in from, uh, from John and Sarah over at Filster. And I've been, you know, messing around with it, trying to, trying to make it work. Cause you know, we, we talked about how like, first of all, concealed carry is a series of trade-offs, right? And appendix carry in particular requires a lot of fine tuning and adjustment, right? That's been your right. experience. Oh yeah, absolutely. Trial and error and seeing what works with what outfit and that, you know, whatever you're doing that day. And so it's definitely a series of trade-offs to make it work for you. Yeah. And I found that to be true. Uh, now I will say first off, like it actually fits in this holster properly. <laughs> so it's got a leg up on that point already over the, the alien gear and the CYA holster and stuff that I chose. Like it actually fits in there with the factory red dot. And by the way, I, I did talk to alien gears, customer service. Uh, I mean, they're nice. They answered the phone, you know, you could actually talk to a person and, um, and then they tried to help me, but, but basically you know, I asked them if they were going to make a, a mold for the the red dot. All I really want from them at this point is just send me a mold that will fit the the gun that I have, the factory gun that I have. 
And, uh, you know, the customer service guy was like, well, I can put in like a, a general request that they add a new, new shell, but I can't do anything beyond that. So, uh, you know, they, not much help, I guess, in, in that regard. But uh, regardless, the Filster, and as anyone watching on YouTube can tell, it's a pretty uh, crazy design for, um, you know, people who are used to just seeing basically a plastic shell that you put your gun in with a clip on it. Because the Filster really is a belt replacement system that allows you to carry in. It's so much more adjustable than an average holster. For, and for appendix, I think that's super important for, especially for someone with my body shape, where I have more of a gut, because um, you really have to find the exact right position. I know that's true for everybody, but it's harder for, I think, for guys with my body type. Um, and so this does allow me to do that. And I did actually carry it yesterday. Uh, now, I think it's, I still have a long way to go to getting it dialed in. Uh, you know, I've got these wedges. They sent me, they have like a wedge kit, which is nice. Um, and they sent, and so I've got two of the biggest wedges they have on this thing. And that has helped, but I think I might even need more, to be honest. Do you have any wedges on yours? Uh, so my Glock 19 that I sometimes carry, I actually did a DIY wedge where I, I cut a Dr. Scholl's foot insert in half and mm -hmm. then put some Velcro, double-sided Velcro yep. and hooked that to the back. And that's been great for me. It's funny because like that's that's like what people recommend in the community. <laughs> like it's still a pretty underdeveloped space, I think. Like you can buy a couple pre-made wedges. Filster has their versions, right? And there's you know one or two more companies out there that make pre-made wedges. But I feel like the vast majority of people will tell you just to make your own out of a yoga block or Dr. Scholl's insert or something. So it's it's kind of a funny spot that the holster industry is at with that stuff right now, but. But hey, if it works, right? I mean, and it's yeah. much cheaper, likely to do it that way than to buy some of those pre-made uh, wedges. And the, you know, I think uh, John at, at Filster talks about how fit, appendix carry holster is more like fitting a prosthetic than it is like anything else. And so you really have to mold it to your body and adjust things. Like for me, you know, I got these wedges. I think I might try that pillow wedge that's out there, uh, or something along those lines, maybe. Uh, I just think I may, may need more. And then I think I, uh, this, uh, the holster itself has a, a wing on it that presses against the, this, the Enigma system. I think I may, might need the bigger wing just cause it'll tuck it a little more into my body and maybe even make it a little more accessible. It kind of squishes into me, uh, into my stomach and can make it a little bit harder to get a good grip on it when I'm drawing. So I say once I again, like goes back to trade-offs because a lot the deeper yeah. the concealment the tougher it is to access and so mm -hmm. trade-offs yeah interestingly for for guys with my body shape if you have like a stomach um you really should wear it even higher than than uh you know someone without someone with like six-pack abs or whatever flat stomach uh you're supposed to wear it a little bit higher above your waistline and that, that's another thing where you know you get into those trade-offs like you're talking about with um especially with like the kind of clothes you can wear. Like, cause I will say like, it does conceal better when I have it in, in the sweet spot uh, for my body. Like it conceals better than having it on my back does, you know, having it in a strong side. Uh, but I, it's also, I think more difficult for me 
than just having that strong side holster. Um, it's less comfortable because it's, uh, but that part of that is like, probably part of it is I just don't have it dialed in completely yet. Uh, but it, I think high, you know, they kind of recommend having sort of old school, high-waisted pants is one of the solutions that they talk about. <laughs> you don't want your gun too, you don't want your pant line and belt line too low or the gun might get pushed out. Um, and so, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see where I end up, whether or not this ends up being my final destination. I think it's a great product for sure. And I'm going to keep working with it. And even if I don't end up going with appendix, I think it, I think it's the only way I could carry appendix to be honest, like is with this, this sort of setup from Filster uh, or something equivalent to it. Like, I just don't see myself being able to do it off of belts and uh, a normal appendix holster. Cause I don't think it would be able to get it to sit in the right spot. That's my thought after trying this for, it's only been a week. So <laughs> I don't, I've only carried it outside once, um, but whether or not I want to go to a, to appendix is the big question. I, and I do think that for my girlfriend, um, it'll be even better for her if, if I don't stick with it. And it is, you know, you can put a different holster on here and, and different straight, you can adjust basically everything about it. I might actually switch the, this little buckle from the left side to the right side. Super cool buckle, by the way. It's like magnetic and cool. Oh, that is cool. I like it. <laughs> anyway, uh, that's that's what we've got for the holster update. Uh, have you ever considered moving to something like this, or is it just uh, what you've got works well enough that's, as it is? That's kind of the thing. I've been super curious. There's always a new holster craze that comes out between Filster or like when the sidecars first came out, how popular the mm -hmm. sidecar style holsters were, holsters were. And now Tenacore is another one that a lot of people are really hyped about. And I'm always really curious, but my setup just works for me right now. So I, it's hard for me to justify spending, you know, hundred plus dollars on a new holster setup when I have something that works. Like if, if yeah. one of my holsters went down, I'd consider it, but. That's true. Although you could actually buy the the filster without getting their holster and you can attach your holster to it. That's a good so, point. That's a good point. That's, that's another thing about them. That's pretty good is you can, they're super accommodating in that way. I would say that, uh, so this is the sport belt. I would highly recommend that as an upgrade. If people are going to get <clears throat> a filster, uh, Enigma, because it, it gives you a little more stretch. Uh, it has little pockets in it too, which is always nice. But uh, I think that really helps with, the being able to comfortably wear it all day but <clears throat> yeah well I, I, you know i'm gonna keep messing with it and see where i end up and whether i mean it's still like should i even try should i even go to appendix what are the everyone's doing appendix now but um i don't know if it's that much of an, av an advantage over what i was doing is the thing like it was pretty comfortable carrying strong side for me and my back is flat i don't have the uh, gut on my back so i don't have to deal with any of that um but it is it doesn't print as much but printing i think the fear of printing can be overrated a lot in concealed carry because i can tell you in 10 years i only ever had one person notice when i was printing and it was somebody who knew i carried a gun right uh, so i don't know <laughs> is it that uh, this prints less but how much of a value is that to me there's right. other advantages too like if i'm in the car strong side actually has ruined my seat because the the 
uh, grip digs into the leather and cuts it. And that's, and I never did anything to fix it. So it kind of ruined my driver's seat uh, over the years. And you don't have that issue. And you could draw from a seat position in a car easier with, with this, with appendix than you can strong side. So um, we'll see, we'll see where I end up. But we have uh, we have actual news though. <laughs> to get back to the news update part, what what are, what are you what are the big stories we're following right now? Yeah, so in the newsletter links, uh, we have movement on permitless carry out of Louisiana. Their house, the state house of representatives, just passed a permitless carry bill with a veto proof majority. Uh, so that's something to keep an eye on for sure. Uh, yeah, they, they have a veto proof majority in the House. They have one in the Senate. Republicans, that is have mm-hmm. veto-proof majorities in both chambers. So we'll see right. if there's if a Democratic the governor. Right. Yeah. But of course they had veto-proof majorities the last time they did this. Right. And they didn't actually override the veto. So we'll, yeah, we'll see. That's the key. Yeah. And then uh, out of uh, Michigan, uh, this comes from the Detroit Free Press, just an update. Uh, governor Gretchen Whitmer there just officially signed their red flag bill. Uh, so between that and Minnesota, their governor signed that bill that we reported on uh, just a week ago. So now we have two more states that have now enacted red flag laws that makes 21. Uh, so there's a new movement there in that policy that looked like it kind of had stagnated for a while. Yeah. Well, you know, it's part of that trend that you talked about in your analysis piece uh, from the, the 2022 elections where Democrats overperformed and Republicans underperformed in some of these states. And these are the results. Yep. And then last we have from our friend Cam Edwards at Bearing Arms. Uh, he reports that there's now some uh, outspoken Republican lawmakers in Tennessee that are publicly calling for their governor, Bill Lee, to rescind his special session order uh, because they just don't they don't want anything to do with his his red flag law like proposal. Uh, so some interesting backlash going from the Republican governor in a very Republican state. Yeah, certainly. Although, as you wrote this week in <laughs> in an analysis piece, that the fact that the governor is considering this at all is sort of evidence of, um, you know, some of the results of the recent uh, poor polling performance for, for gun rights issues. Uh, you know, this sort of long-term trend of people favoring new gun restrictions to quell gun violence over, you know, protecting gun rights, at least in polling. And, um, you know, we, we, I remember writing a piece to the same, to a similar end last year, uh, on a different poll from the AP that showed very similar trend lines that are that are concerning, I think, if you're a gun rights supporter and uh, explain some of this this kind of movement from people like uh, Governor Lee. Yeah, exactly. And then uh, we have our own reporting this week about some uh, pretty big developments in the ATF's pistol brace rule. Uh, where now two courts, two federal courts, have issued injunctions against it. If you want to update us uh, on what happened there, yeah, it's pretty confusing, right? We've got the uh, the pistol brace ban about to go into effect. The ATF is grace period to register your pistol brace equipped firearms is now ending. I register them as short barrel rifles, which the ATF is now claiming they all are essentially, and. We've got two rulings just a week out that block enforcement of that rule. But the caveat is it only blocks them for the named plaintiffs in the case. And the further caveat to that is 
we don't have a good understanding of exactly what that what even that means because these cases there's two cases um two fe separate federal judges one is a three-judge panel on the appeal the fifth circuit appeals court another one is a district judge but they issued very um brief rulings putting these injunctions in place for the named plaintiffs and the thing is that in these cases there are two gun control or sorry two gun rights groups that are named plaintiffs the, the firearms policy coalition and then the second amendment foundation and there are also two gun companies that are named plaintiffs maxim defense and uh, rainier arms and so the question is when when the court says that the ATF can't enforce this rule against named plaintiffs, does that include all of the members of the Second Amendment Foundation and the Firearms Policy Coalition? And does it include all the customers of Maxim Defense and Rainier Arms? And we don't know. Right. <laughs> uh, there's, there's a lot of there's still a lot of uh, confusion around that question because it would have a pretty significant impact. Obviously, like if it if it doesn't apply to those people then really all the ruling does is block it for the four individual plaintiffs that are involved in these two cases, which is obviously not a pretty, not a very significant effect. Uh, although it does sort of imply that perhaps the court sees legitimate issues on the merits here or is, and is, um, you know, pretty concerned about the severity of the potential uh, deprivation of rights involved in this case. That's why you'd issue an injunction like this in the first place. It would be pretty odd to make, come to that conclusion and then issue your narrowest possible injunction. But right. the courts, you know, they, they can be a bit odd sometimes with these things. You actually saw a very similar situation play out with President Biden's ghost gun ban. If you recall, there was a case called Vanderstock that we reported on a little while back where the individual, where the the judge in that case issued similar injunctions for the named plaintiffs in the cases, uh, although it was more clear at that time that the companies involved who were named plaintiffs, that their customers would also be protected against enforcement by the ATF. And, and eventually they just issued sort of these piecemeal injunctions to all the major players in the sort of unfinished firearms part industry. So... Defense Distributed got one, Polymer 80 got one. Um, and so now, even though it's technically not an injunction that applies to the entire country and all people in it, it applies to all the customers of the major companies that make the affected parts. So that's maybe you'll see the same thing happen here. I don't know why. I'm not a lawyer or a legal expert in this, this granular of a sense. I don't know why courts decide to do things this way instead of just issuing a more straightforward injunction, but it is what it is. We'll, we'll keep people up to date. We're filming this on Friday. So right now, the latest is that the FPC has, has filed a clarification request from the court to try and get them to answer these questions of exactly how far this, these injunctions extend. But, uh, you know, we haven't heard anything yet. If, as soon as we do hear something, we'll obviously write it up for the freebie or <laughs> the freebie. <laughs> For the reload, <laughs> where I currently work, not for my former <laughs> employer. But uh, yeah, so people should stay tuned for that. Yeah. And, and what's tricky is they didn't, 
in both cases, the Fifth Circuit case and the district court case, the judges didn't exactly leave a lot of clues. There was no legal analysis whatsoever in either in either order. It wasn't even an opinion. It was just an order that said, yeah, yeah there's some issues here. So we're going to issue this injunction just to the plaintiffs. It's ordered. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the Fifth Circuit panel didn't explain anything. They just said it's it's ordered as to the plaintiffs, you know, the request for injunction and no detail beyond that. But again, they've. I would I would hope and expect that we'll get some clarity. We did ask both the ATF and DOJ about these rulings and how they're interpreting them. And both of them said they had no comment. So right. no help there either. Yeah. So we'll have to see. Yeah, we will. We will continue to follow this and bring you guys the latest updates once they are available. So make sure you're checking back to the reload.com early and often. But. We also have a bunch of other stories in this week's newsletter in the links. Lots of good ones in there uh, that you guys can go and check out for more. But that's all we've got for this week on the show. If you enjoy the show, please leave a like or a rating. Share it with your friends and family and loved ones and spread the the message as far as you can. Spread the news uh, that anything like that helps us grow the show and sustain our business of reporting on firearms policy and politics. You can also, of course, support us directly by buying a membership, which will keep our publication going, but also will get you exclusive access to hundreds of pieces of analysis and stories that you will not find anywhere else on this planet. So head on over to thereload.com today and check out our membership options if you're interested in doing that. But until next time, that is all we have for you, and we'll see you guys.